Right, First Thessalonians chapter five, chapter five. Uh, it's an odd thing, but there's quite a number of people who do not believe in God who talk about Judgment Day. And there's a lot of movies about Judgment Day. There's all kinds of uh, articles you might read about it. Uh, even more strange is for some people, oh, the same people who call themselves Christians who want to talk about Judgment Day, uh, it often seems to have little influence on how they live. It's just sort of like this thing that's out there. Let's talk about it. It's not, it's not real. Let's, um, you know, let's pretend like it doesn't exist. And uh, I think it's because many, if not most people, think that either God doesn't see, God doesn't care, or God will not hold us accountable for the way that we live. Uh, Hebrews 4.13 says this, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Acts 17, 30 through 31, the Apostle Paul was preaching in Athens after he left Thessalonica. He's addressing people who are religious but wrong. Does that describe many people you know? Religious but wrong. Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man who he, whom he has ordained. And you want to know who's that man? He has given us, given him, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. So it's obviously uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, the bad news for everybody in the world is that God has kept a record of our sins. The verdict, guilty, it's indisputable. Nobody's going to be like, oh no, God, you got me all wrong. You kind of missed it. You kind of missed it. Uh, it's something that can't be challenged or can't be denied. The good news is you can have the charges uh, dropped. You can be acquitted if your name is written in the book of life. Uh, that happens, as we often say, to people who repent and believe, those who turn to God, put their trust in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, your name is not written in the book of life. Uh, your judgment will be based upon your own book, on Judgment Day when you meet the Lord. Um, however, for a follower of Jesus Christ, of those, again, who've trusted Jesus, whose names are written in the book of life, um, the Scripture teaches that the things to come must influence the way we live today and into the future. So, interesting, when the Apostle Paul started the church in Thessalonica, he was only there for a short time, anywhere from three weeks to a few months, most theologians or most Bible scholars would believe. And it appears that he taught them about the second coming of Jesus Christ, something we don't typically teach new believers about unless it's more of a formal course. You know, people ask those questions, and we tend to go, oh, don't worry about that stuff, don't worry about that stuff. And so he, got, he was very, very forthright with them about the return of Jesus and as we've been saying, uh, what happened was he, was he had left the city, and after a while he sent Timothy back to check on the Thessalonian church or the Thessalonian churches. And as we said, he's a task theologian. He, Timothy comes back with the questions that the people have, and he goes to task about answering the questions uh, in, in this letter. Uh, question number one was the question we attacked last time. We were together in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 at the end of the chapter. What happens to followers of Jesus 
who die before Jesus' return. And he said they would be coming with Jesus in this event that we know as the rapture. Now, it's very interesting when you talk with people about that. The the Bible clearly teaches the rapture. What is up for grabs and the debate is the timing, not the actual event. But uh, sometimes people want to make a a big deal about, uh, about it. But, you know, the timing, well-meaning people uh, believe different things. Question number two and three will go to today. Uh, Some people might have been wondering, did they miss the rapture? Because some of the false teachers were teaching the people that Jesus had already come. And are they living in what we're going to talk about today, the day of the Lord? Now, the day of the Lord is not the easiest thing to define because to us it sounds like a day, but it says in the scriptures that, Uh, You know, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So the day of the Lord can take place with many different events over a long period of time. It's not necessarily tied down to one day, although there will be certain days when certain events happen. And the question, the third question will probably be, but that they were asking is, what are the signs of the end of the age? So the beginning of chapter 5 tells us something important. Verse 1 says, but concerning, uh, other versions say, now about the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, it's interesting that phraseology now concerning or now about. In the letter of 1 Corinthians, where he is actually there, he's, he's actually in Corinth right now, he's, he's preaching there. It's a common transitional phase that the apostle Paul phrase that the apostle Paul apostle Paul uses, and and so he could be here. Uh, the chapter divisions weren't there, but he could like, they weren't written with chapter divisions. But he could be transitioning to another topic, and so this appears to be that he is transitioning from uh, the rapture, whatever that timing is, uh, to the day of the Lord. And, and more people are confused about that as well. Now, it appears to many Bible scholars, I would agree with many of them, that he's separating the two events. It appears that this event called the rapture is first, and then this sequence he's talking about called the day of the Lord follows, or the taking out of the church. That's what the rapture is, God taking the church out of the world, uh, could actually be what inaugurates or begins the, the day of the Lord. The, the, the writings and opinions and thoughts on these things are just numerous and, and all over the place. Uh, either way, both at the end of chapter 4 and what we see here in chapter 5 seems to suggest what we call eminence, meaning that these events could happen at any moment. I know a lot of people are looking for, for a warning, and, and yet a lot of times we're not, gonna go, we're not going to know when these things are going to happen, and the people of God need to be ready. Now, many people, I would be one of them. Again, I don't, I don't battle with people who have different things on the timing, but uh, people who, like I believe, in a pre-tribulational uh, rapture, Uh, A lot of them are are going around looking for the Antichrist. Well, if you take the position of the pre-tribulational rapture, you will not be here when the Antichrist is here. What's really interesting as well is uh, Satan doesn't know everything. 
Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, so that means nobody knows when it's going to happen. And so sometimes people uh, project people that they think might be the Antichrist, you know, for like an Adolf Hitler type or, or some, something like that. It is quite possible that um, Satan prepares an Antichrist in every generation. It's quite possible that he does that, and then the Lord's like, nope, sorry, not coming back then, and so then he'll prepare uh, somebody else. So uh, it's probably not your husband, ladies, uh, but, <laughs> but some of you are like, oh, drat, thought it was. But uh, so, so we, don't, we don't know these, these things, uh, but, but we need to be ready. Now, I know a lot of this confuses people. We talked about this last time, and it's, it's really not meant to confuse people. It's really not meant to make them fearful. Jump down to verse 9. He says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's simple. Is that encouraging? That's encouraging. Look at verse 11. He concludes this section. Therefore, comfort each other and edify, some versions say, build up one another just as you are doing. So does that seem confusing? Does that seem like God wants us to be afraid? No, no he doesn't. Um, and so, again, we can, we can, like be a lot of people, endlessly debate or discuss the timing, but the fact of the matter is this. Virtually every Christian tribe that is orthodox, that is out there, believes this, that the Lord Jesus Christ is returning. So that's, that's one thing that basically everybody agrees on, and also that the people of God should live in eager expectancy of the second coming. Now, some of the different positions, I, I, don't, I, don't, I read about them, and I, and I understand how people get them to where they get to, but I don't find them too comforting. <laughs> People say like, oh, it's going to be so bad. It's going to be awful. And it's going to be a bloodbath. And I'm thinking, okay, let's comfort one another with these things. So, so those, those kinds of positions don't do a lot for me. Um, you know, however, Jesus and the apostles were clear that before these events begin to really move along, uh, we can expect as followers of Jesus trials and tribulations. So... Uh, do we need to have the dates down? I would say 100% no. Why would I say that? Because so far, everybody has been wrong. Although, I will give you the date in a bit, and I can guarantee you that I will be right. <laughs> Ye of little faith. Second Timothy 1.2, the Apostle Paul said this, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day, until that day when he is taken out of the world or the day of the Lord. Uh, another version says that he is convinced that, that the Lord is able to guard him until that day, and he, he's going to be safe until that day. That doesn't mean that God's going to give up on him. Up, oh, the day's here, sorry, hands off, not, not going to do that. And I think most of us don't want to, uh, you know, see, we're the bride of Christ, and the bride is beautifully adorned for the groom, and some of the stuff that some people think that we're going to go through, it's not going to be too beautifully adorned. You know, the poor bride's going to be pretty beaten up by the time she gets there. 
So that is a bit of a long intro, so let's jump back into verse 1 again. But concerning, again now about, the times and the seasons. Well, let's just notice what we, what's really obvious right there. Those words are plural. It's not, not, not the time and the season. The times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Interesting. He says, you don't, you, you don't, I, don't, I don't need to write to you about this. I explained all this to you already. Now, I think that there was a bunch of people getting some end times fever, getting into some speculation, and he's saying, you don't need to go into a lot of the different speculations. You know, those, those movies we see of all of a sudden, you know, some believers fly in a plane, and he gets raptured, and the plane goes flying into the ocean, and all that kind of... We don't, we don't know how all, how all of this is going to work out. We don't know how it's going to be. And uh, he says, verse 2, for you yourselves know perfectly, another version says, you know very well or you are fully aware that the day of the Lord, there's that term, so comes as, comes like, comes just as a thief in the night. Now, again, this, this term, the day of the Lord, is not an easy term to define uh, be, because it happens over many different times and many different seasons. There are near prophecies and fulfillments and far prophecies and fulfillments. And particularly in the Old Testament times, and I would even say in the New Testament, if you want to look at 70 AD, we do get, when the Romans came in and conquered Jerusalem, you do get previews. So God says, you know, in the, Old, the prophets are saying, God says, you better repent or I'm going to send in other nations to go after you. And, and the northern people, they didn't repent, and the Assyrians came in. And so that's the day of the Lord. There's a time and a season when that's going to happen. And then the southern kingdom, you think, boy, we should really learn our lesson. Look, look what happened to those guys. But they didn't. And then the Babylonians came in. So he says, concerning the times, well, let's call that the, the when, and the seasons, let's call that the, the signs. You know how the seasons change and you know, when the leaves start to fall off the tree, we know that winter is coming. He says, I don't need to write you. Why? I think it's because we don't need to know. The, the most important thing is not that we know. The most important thing is that we are ready. As to when, uh, in Matthew 24 and Acts 1, the apostles asked, uh, in Mark 2, the apostles asked, and they didn't get an answer. Because what's important, not when Jesus is coming, but that Jesus is coming. Just imagine if you knew, if you knew, and you thought, um, wow, it's going to be 20 years. I got 20 years to get myself together. Okay, so how many years have you ever done a New Year's resolution to get in shape or change your diet or something like that? And you're thinking, oh, well, you know, I got 20 years to do that. And then now you're 20 years older or you're 10 years old, or something like that. So we would procrastinate on a lot of those different things, or we could become lax and, and, and very lazy. And, and also as to what things will be like, in verse 4 to 11, we'll see that no matter what things are like, we know enough already now, just by the simple fact that he is coming back to produce a godly lifestyle. We, we don't need to know the dates and times to produce a, a godly lifestyle. We know enough now. 
And so the last thing the United States needs and the world needs is a lazy church, an indifferent church, or a bunch of date setters who are just always wrong. That's what we learn from history is we don't learn from history. So far, we're batting a thousand on this, that we're wrong every time. What we need is an expectant church, a passionate church that is well aware that Jesus could come back at any time. So Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. It says this, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, now it's very interesting, these are the very last words Jesus says before he ascends to heaven. It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put on his own authority. So the apostles aren't told, oh, but we know. (laughs) We know. But, verse 8, contrast, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you should go home, sit around, do nothing, and wait for me to come back. That's not what it says? Some of you look like you wish that's what it said. (laughs) And you receive power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I think it's fair to say, might not be easy to hear, but fair to say that it's easy for us to ignore the information that we already have while we're chasing after the information that we don't need. It's easy for us. We have the information. We got it already. But we're focused oftentimes when we're talking about the timing and all the signs and all that kind of stuff. And and every generation, I think God has planted in us to think that it should be our generation. I mean, I think it's going to be our generation, but part of it is is because I think that's God's planted that in all of us. And what we need to do is to be ready. We need to be ready. We have a lot of people today as we've sort of created this market in, in Christian you know, marketing and books and advertising, stuff like that, about we all have to know God's will. God's will. Remember a couple of weeks ago, God's will, your sanctification. <laughs> that was God's will. You, you become more like Jesus. So that, that's enough for us to go on, right? That's enough to keep all of us busy. But a lot of people are procrastinating by not doing anything because they want to know God's will. So this is my suggestion to you. Um, You know, uh, open your Bible, roll up your sleeves, get to work, and God will speak, um, you know, very quickly. Sometimes young people say to me, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. I always say to them, go get the worst possible job you could ever imagine in your life, and God will probably speak a lot quicker than you think. (laughs) So so we don't want to procrastinate saying we don't know what God's will is. Because it's very easy to justify our own laziness to ourselves, isn't it? Yet Jesus and the apostles teach us that we have enough information, or even I would say more than enough information, to move on. Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust, or some versions say unrighteous, dishonest, in what is at least is unjust, what, what in what is least is unjust also in much. 
So don't ignore the little things that God gives you to do. So verse 2, he says, you know, and the reason they know is it's mentioned, the day of the Lord is mentioned over and over and over again in the Old Testament, usually almost always associated with not good times. You know, God pouring out his wrath, pouring out his judgment on, on disobedient people. So he says, you know, it's in the Old Testament, and because I taught you, he says to them, the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. So again, the day of the Lord refers to the judgment of God, and again, it has both a near or partial and far or ultimate fulfillment. And it's an interesting thing about these these times when the Lord is coming. Various times, the the invaders come, the enemies come, the Lord Jesus himself comes. We studied in the rapture part. He actually comes down and the people go to him. And in the second coming, though, it says that he comes down all the way. And then there's this other time when he comes back again, if you you believe in the millennial time, if you think he's going to come back after that. And each time, people are surprised. Each time, nobody really knows there's signs, but we ignore signs, don't we? I've seen some of you drive. You go zipping by me on Route 80, right? I'm like, oh, I know that person, right? And so we, we, we ignore some of the signs. And so, in other words, the day of the Lord, because there's, it's this, been this thing where there's partial fulfillments and then complete, it's not one event, We'll see the day of the Lord will be, in one time, the Lord will conquer a nation because of their sinfulness. Or we'll see that the, the day of the Lord, the Lord will let other nations conquer Israel, for they're not he- heeding the prophets. But it also looks forward to the end of the age when God judges the unbelieving world, and it, that is the severest judgment of all. Now notice, he says, it will come like a thief like a thief. I don't know how many of you have ever been robbed or ripped off before, but just let me ask you a question. Did, did the thief send you a text, hey, I'm robbing your house tonight? <laughs> you know, did they make an appointment? We'd like to make it up, you know, the solicitor calls it like, we'd like to make an appointment to rob your house. <laughs> like to make an appointment to steal your car. No, thieves don't, they don't do that. They come unannounced. They come unexpected. Uh, thieves generally don't publish their schedule. You know, like, you know, get the recycle schedule or the garbage schedule or something like that. They don't, they don't, they don't do that. It is a surprise. Now, some of us might think, oh, no, God's holding this over our head. God is threatening us. It, it's not meant as a threat. It's meant as a motivation to live a godly lifestyle in the midst of an ungodly world. It's, it's meant as an encouragement to obedient, be obedient in the midst of hardship. So I know you've been hanging on the edge of your seats ever since I said this. Do I know when the Lord will return? I do. I do. Right on time. But I'm wrong. <laughs> While others are uncertain, I am completely certain. That he's going to come right on time. Now, verse 3 is very important. Um, 
verse 1 and 2, notice he uses the word in verse 1 and 2, you. You may want to circle that in verse 1 and 2. He's talking to the church. He's talking to the believers. And he says, for when they say, well, if you as the believers, presumably they as the unbelieving people, when they say peace and safety, so when the people are running around going, everything's wonderful, everything's good, it's all good news, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, I know in preaching circles in the American church today, everybody only wants to hear the good stuff, right? They only want to hear the happy stuff, the happy preachers. So those are the people who are saying peace and safety. So honestly, a preacher that does not preach judgment, you should not really pay much attention to. Because it's in the Bible over and over again. Jesus and the apostles taught it. It's coming. Why, if you think everything is fine all the time, why would you ever repent? And when there's a gospel without repentance, there is no true salvation. But again, it's not meant to, to, to scare you. It might initially, but generally, to motivate you once you've trusted Christ to live an, an obedient lifestyle. And so here we see that the world is indifferent to God. Peace, safety, what are you, what are you people on about? It's mellow out. Everything is fine. And the Lord says, those people are going to be swept away. Now, it's kind of, in, it's kind of interesting to me, and, and I think it's scary at the same time, and I hope it motivates us to really share Christ with, you know any people that are decent people? I don't want to say good because then you'll email me, you know, no one is good but God. I know, but you know there's decent people in the world. There really is. And, and, and here we see that the consequence for indifference, oh, peace and safety, that doesn't seem like such a bad message, is it? The consequence for indifference is the same as it is for willful rejection. And see, you can't, you just can't ignore God. And in the Old Testament, particularly the prophets uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos, they, they warned of it, but Israel would not listen. And the same is true for, for many of the people of God or, or the professing people of God. And, and don't, you know, don't think that's just because somebody goes to church that they're a true convert. Because there's a lot of people that have no anticipation of God coming back. They're not trying to live in light of his return. They're not even really wanting him to return. Um, you, know, you know how the old joke goes that the, that the young people are, uh, they, they, they say, you know, I want, um, I, I want to get married. I want to get married. I don't want the Lord to return. And then they get married, and six months later, they're like, when's the Lord going to return? <laughs> so, so we all, based upon where we are in life, a lot of times is how we feel about that, but we should want the Lord to, to return. And so, and so they just did not, they did not listen to him, a lot of the people of God in Israel. But the change from you to they should give us hope that, that the true people of God will not be here for this. That's a great hope for me. Like, I don't want to be here for this. And so, and so when, when the Lord pours out his wrath. And, and notice um, how the destruction will come. He says, uh, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. 
Now, this is where a preacher always has to be very careful. Very, my wife's like, you should always be very careful when you talk about pregnant women, Jim. And, um, but those of you who have had children, you know, when, when the baby starts to come, it, it's not, it hurts for a while, but then it starts hurting all the time. I have counted contractions. I'll give, my, I'll give myself credit for that. And, and so, not well, but I've counted them because I've been like, oh, gosh, we're having another baby. And so, and, 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 and yet, um, you can't stop it, can you, ladies? No, you can't be like, oh, no, bad day, bad day. <laughs> you, know, you, you can't do that, and it's, it, it, you can't stop it from happening. And the idea seems to be that, that there will be no way of stopping or escaping the consequences of unbelief. So isn't it interesting that, that peace and safety, look what it says at the end, and they shall not escape. At the beginning of the verse, the people are going, oh, peace and safety, peace and safety. And at the end of the verse, he says, they're not going to escape. They're not going to escape. So what about followers of Jesus? How, how are we to think about this now? How are we to live now? He tells us verse 4, but you, so now he shifts back to believers, but you, brethren, believers, are not in darkness. We, we are not people living in darkness so that this day should not, uh, should overtake you as a thief or this day should not surprise you as a thief. Now, verse 2, the thief comes. Thieves usually come in darkness, but the people who live in the light, we shouldn't be surprised by it. We should be ready for it. Oh, here comes the Lord. Here he comes. Now it's time to go. Uh, You are all, he says, sons of light and sons of the day. Those would be sons and daughters, true followers of Jesus. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So what he's doing is he's beginning to make some comparisons between the true people of God and the people who are not the true people of God. So we are the people of the day. We are the people of the light. We are not the people of the night or the darkness. And so he reminds us here that all followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus, because of their personal relationship with Jesus, through putting their trust in Jesus and evidenced by their following after Jesus, verse 2 and 3 will not be their experience. Now, if you hold the, either the uh, pre-tribulation or pre-wrath view, you would say the reason is, is because you will not be here. But those who have not put their trust in Jesus are in the dark on the second coming of Jesus. But we are not in the dark. We are to be confident in the second coming of Jesus. And, and, and one help is with this when you read your Bible, and you might just want to jot this down somewhere and remember this, that there's a big difference between the day of the Lord and the day of Christ. The, the day of the Lord is, it really has to do with the judgment upon unbelieving people, and, and the day of Christ is the blessing for a follower of Jesus. So the day, what is the day of Christ? The day of Christ would be the completion of our salvation at the judgment seat of Christ when he's handing out rewards for the things that we have done. Seems to be, back in uh, chapter 4, if you put a bunch of things together, seems to be 
uh, at the rapture. Uh, I would just say this. God does not want his people to live with uncertainty about the future. Why is that? If you live with uncertainty about the future, if you don't live confident in God about the future, what does that do to today? It absolutely ruins it, doesn't it? It absolutely destroys it. The future paralyzes so many people. They, they just don't know what to do. They, they're like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? But because of the light of Christ... Um, which is an attribute of God or the revealing light of Christ, we should not be caught off guard. And so somehow we think all of this sounds really strange how this is going to happen. I just think we're just going to know. There's just going to be part of us that, you know, when he says we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, the, the scripture says, we're just going to know what, what, what's going on. There's going to be nothing to be afraid of. You know, those of us who are afraid of heights, we're not going to have to worry about that. And, you know, some of us are like, oh, no, we're parachuting. There's no parachute. No, we're going up. We're not coming down. Jesus is coming down to, to meet us. Um, and, and, and the reason we're not letting it ruin today and the reason we're not paralyzed, is it because we know the time? No. It's because we are prepared. And it's because we're confident that he's told us that our fate is different from people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. Interesting, um, you know, when he talks about day and night, and, and it's to the unbelieving people, the second coming will seem like a thief in the night. But yet, we are to be comforted by it. If you've ever been robbed, is it a comforting thing? No, of course not. Of course not. But we are, to be, we are to be comforted by it. We are to be encouraged by it. And, and, and you could say this way, uh, to, to the unbelieving person, the second coming is like a thief in the night. And to the believing person, it's like a bright sunny day at the beach. It, it's like we are excited for what's going on. Verse 6, therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober. Now, sometimes we can be confused, and uh, different words mean different things at different points in the Bible, and context determines the meaning. In, sometimes in the Bible, sleep means death. We've encountered that already before, but, but sometimes also uh, sleep can mean in the Bible moral laxity. So he says, let's not be asleep. Let's not be morally lax. Let's Let's not forget that God is coming. Let's be on our toes. Let's be on our game. Uh, you, know, does it, you know, don't be, you know, it doesn't matter if you, you, you mess up here and there. You confess your sins and, and, then, you, and then you move on. And, um, and so we don't, wanna, we, don't, we don't want to sleep as others do. We don't want to be like, hey, everything's fine. What do you, you know, we're not all upset about that kind of stuff. But we want to watch and we want to be sober. A lot of that is you watch what goes on in your world and you th in the world and you think, wow, this could be the time. It's quite possible that, that the Lord could be coming back. Uh, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us 
who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so here he seems to be pointing us to the reality of living the Christian life. So the light is, is, is a way of living. The light is something to live out. Now, it seems to me that the Thessalonians were a bit confused on this point, that somehow talking about the end times to them had not been the motivation that God wants it to be for us, but had turned into a distraction. It turned into a distraction. And so there's enough distractions in this world, isn't there? There's a lot of distractions in this world, which is why the people of God need to watch and be sober. Now, we've said this before, um, watching and waiting is not inactivity. Waiting on the Lord is not inactivity. Waiting on the Lord is what we do when we're waiting for him to make his move. And so what are we doing when we're watching and waiting? We are serving the Lord with seriousness, and we are serving the Lord with alertness. We, we, are, we are at the ready to meet the Lord. Now, typically, the, the, the night and day um, symbolism is, is interesting because typically bad behavior takes place at night, doesn't it? It takes place in the dark where people think that they can't be seen. And so he's encouraging us to be the people of the day, to be people who are awake, to be people who are sober, to be people who are walking in the light of Christ. And again, I think we have to be really honest. It's easy for us to forget that. I mean, a lot of us can easily go through our day and and not really think about some of us are on Christian autopilot. You know, you used to drink a lot. You don't drink anymore because you're like, oh, gosh, I can't, get, I, can't have a, I can't afford a hangover. I can't afford to lose a day or something like that. And, and we're not really thinking about, about walking with the Lord as much as we should. Or we're not really thinking about, about his return. It's easy, to for, it's easy to forget these things and adopt the lifestyle of the people that live in the dark. It's easy to adopt the lifestyle of the people who are sleepy. It's easy to adopt the lifestyle of, of the drunk people of the world. And I think now, we, it's always, as a pastor, I always, I love the warm weather. I mean, I would live in a place where it's 95 degrees every day, but I married a snow bunny, and uh, I guess the bunny wins. And so, and so but, but I, I do fear one thing about the warm weather, and it's not sunburn. Uh, what I fear about the warm weather is I know that it causes a lot of us to get sloppy. It causes us a lot of us to get lazy. You know, you, you're going to go on vacation. You're going to go, oh, I'm going to read my Bible every day. And you come back and you go, I didn't read it one day. Because you get out of your routine. Or you, or you just, you know, you, you think, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, sleep late or I'm, I'm going to have a few extra beers or, or whatever it is, you know, or, or, or you're with your friends. 
and, and it's easy. They're pressuring you. It's easy to be influenced by that. And that's not just young people. That, that happens to all kinds of people. And, and, and verse 8 seems to indicate that we need to be ready for a battle here. He says we need to have on the, the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet and helmet the hope of salvation. And so this is a call to what? This is a call to a serious faith that, that it's a war. We need to have our armor on and it's not some casual, you know, walk and serve Jesus when it fits your schedule kind of faith. And notice the, the, the areas we need to protect so he says, you want to wear a breastplate. You want to protect what? You want to protect your heart. You want to really be aware of how quickly your heart can turn. And I, I think for most of us in, in the church, and, and whenever I say this, people are very surprised. I see most people struggle. They're away from the people of God two, three weeks, and they're already drifting. They're already drifting. It, it, happens, that, it happens that quickly. And, and so we want, to, we want to guard our hearts, and we want to guard, he says, we have to wear a, 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 the helmet as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Remember, uh, hope is not like, oh, I kind of hope it works out. It's the certainty. So we, it's, he's saying you want to guard your mind with the certainty of salvation. So maybe sometimes you have to, you know, you're in a situation and you're doing something or you're tempted to do something and you stop. You go, wait a minute, I'm not that guy. They don't do that. that. That's not, that's me. That is conduct unbecoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And so you, you step back and, and you say, you know what? No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, you just flee sometimes. Sometimes you gotta go, I gotta go. I gotta go. What do you mean you gotta go? I gotta go. Right? And, or maybe you just, just leave the house or go for a walk or, or something like that. And so, and so we want to guard our our heart with, with faith and love. We, we have this, this, we want to guard our head with this helmet. And so our hearts are protected with a, with a confident faith in the love of Jesus. And, and if you ask most people, would you want to do anything that would, would, would demonstrate to Jesus that you don't appreciate his love? Well, most of us would say, no, I don't want to do that. I want to receive his love, and, and I want to send it back to him, and I want to recycle it out to other people. I don't want to be doing things that, that, that kind of hinder that, and, and I don't want to be doing anything like that. And, and, and with our minds, we want to have the certainty of Jesus' work. We want to have the certainty of Jesus' promises, and, and we want to be just you know, constantly saying to ourselves, you know, listen, the Lord has done so much for me, I'm not going down that road. The Lord has done so much for me. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna think that way. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go that way. And you know. And and the and the pressures of the world are real. That's why you you have this these metaphors of of a battle of being a soldier who's going into a battle. It's not like the Apostle Paul's like ah, it's easy. Just say no. You know, get a bumper sticker that says just say no. It's not. It's not like that. He knows that it's a that it's a very very difficult thing. And, and it's important to notice this, that, that when, when things in our world fall apart or things are super, super easy, it, it seems to be that our hearts and minds are at their most vulnerable. 
you know, you hear some expressions of, you know, people, they get, they get really hurt and they go out and do stupid things. Or you hear of somebody, they're in a relationship and, and, it, and it doesn't end well and they get their heart broken. And so they, they're with somebody else. What's the term? On the rebound. And so they have all of these different things that, that, that we do when, when we're hurt that leads us to do stupid things. And then also when things are going really well, that's when we get really sloppy. You know, a lot of times we think, oh, things are going well. God must be really, really happy with me. And then all of a sudden, you know, he pulls the rug out from under you and you're like, what, what's going on? What's going on? Don't you love me anymore, God? And God's like, yeah, I, I do love you. That's why I needed to pull the rug out from under you and put you on your tail for a little while. So you could, you could understand, right, that, that it, you can't be sloppy and, and, and walk with me. And so one way is to stay alert. And, and so not to be spiritually sleepy. And when we're spiritually sleepy, we are, we are unaware and insensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're just, just not aware of what, of what God is doing and what God is uh, trying to do. Now, another thing is he says here, stay sober. Now, some of you, you're all, I can see the puffed up thing. Oh, I don't drink. I don't drink. Got this one down. Um, okay, fine. That's good. Um, that's okay if that's your thing. I don't drink. I, you know, people say, well, you know, I think you could make the case from 1 Timothy 3 that pastors aren't supposed to drink. Um, I think the rest of you can, can have, a, have a drink or something like that. But, but I quit drinking long before I was a pastor. Why? Because I'm an excellent drinker. Like, I'm really good at it. And I thought, I'm so good at this, I need to retire. So, so, so that's why I quit. But, 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 but listen, here's the reality. Is don't a lot of people who say they're Christians uh, drink in the ways of the world? And so they might not be physically drunk, but they're spiritually drunk. They, they, they might not be physically asleep. They're not dead, but they're, they're spiritually asleep. They, they're not walking in the light. They're walking in the darkness. They're trying to find their way. And that's why the, James says that such people are double-minded and unstable in all their ways. There is nothing sadder than watching people who, are try- who have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God because you're just double-minded. You're going nuts. You're going to drive yourself completely batty. And, you know, I used to see a lot of that years ago. When I, you know, we'd do outreaches and stuff like that and meet a lot of Christians, and, and they were double-minded. But now I see a lot of people who claim to be Christians, and they are basically got both foot in the world. But because they go to church on Sunday... They think that makes them a Christian. But you know those, these old expressions, you know? You know, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. You know, you walk into McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. You know, just because you walk into, in, into church doesn't, doesn't mean that you are, a, you are a Christian. And so these things will, will help us walk in the light by being aware of these things and not fall into the moral pitfalls of the darkness that is just completely all around us. I mean, it's everywhere. You, you, have to, you have to look at darkness to be a good driver. A good driver looks at what's all around them 
And then all of a sudden the billboard, whoa, I don't look at that. You know, and so there's all kinds of stuff that comes in. You know, I, 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 I write to catalogs. You know, I'm, I'm a catalog writer. And, and, I, and I just rip them off. They send them to your house. And I just rip them off. I'm like, stop sending these to our house. And then the second time, I have stickers made. Uh, and I just says, just please take us off your mailing list. And I keep track. And the second one, it says, I write again. And I say, it says, please take us off your mailing list. Or I'm going to send you back your whole catalog postage due. <laughs> that one gets me off. <laughs> Right? That one gets me off. And I don't put a return address on it. I'm like, you don't listen? Then that's it. Stop. The, get your stuff out of my mailbox and my recycle bin. Uh, you know, I know all the recycle business people hate me for that kind of stuff, but you know, I guess that's just the way it goes. So um, amidst all the end times confusion, verse 9 becomes like a beacon of light and a motivation to live for Jesus. He says, for... And we've said many times before that word for can also mean because. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Now, there is a debate on what he's exactly talking about in terms of wrath here. Because remember, the day of the Lord is something that happens over a long period of time consisting of many different events is it the actual, you know, consummation end day when the Lord sort of sort of blows up everything, or is it is it part of the process? To me, I don't have to know why, because I have not been appointed to it. I, that's why I'm not I'm not overly concerned about it. It happens when it happens. I'll let the smart theologian people argue, write their books about that kind of stuff when it happens, but but. But followers of Jesus have not been appointed to wrath. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ took your appointment on the cross. That's why. He he cut in line in front of you. He took your appointment. And so you are not appointed to wrath. He was was appointed to wrath in your place. For, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. That's what's important. How do we get it? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. While, while there's still much debate again re- regarding the timing of these things, many fear the coming of the day of the Lord. But the Apostle Paul wants us to know that if your destiny, your destiny is heaven, okay, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. And, and so a lot of people are wondering, what will things be like here on earth before that time? And Paul's saying, okay, there's all kinds of different signs that you're going to see. And it's going to cause every generation to think that they live in the day, that they live in the time. And you could even make the case that right now that we're not in the day of the Lord, we're in the day of man. And that, the, and that the events of the day of the Lord, the finality of those events, have, have really not started yet. The only thing that really needs to, to get the ball rolling now is the return of Jesus. And so, and so we don't need to know all of these things. And so what does he want us to do? He wants us to be full of comfort. He wants us to be full of hope. He wants us to be full of peace. 
He wants us to remember that we are not appointed, if we're followers of Jesus, we are not appointed to wrath. We are appointed to salvation. And he wants us really, I know you're going to make a lot of enemies with it, but to tell other people. To tell other people. You know, a common thing with, with I find with young people is they go, well, I don't find that the lives of Christians are, are going much better than everybody else's life. They seem to be, you know, making about the same amount of money. They seem to be driving the cars and, and, and kind of stuff like that. And, well, but you know what? God didn't promise that we were going to be rich. That's, a, that's an, an always healthy. That's a perversion. It's sad to say that stuff's all over the world, and the United States is exporting it. We are the biggest exporter of, of, of moral filth and theological filth that the world has ever seen. It's just, it's just terrible. Now, um, some people... Some people debate is 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 the day of the Lord just speaking about the the very end for people their eternal wrath and hell and or is it or is it this this sequence of events I think great cases have been made for both sides um, others debate is is if the day of the Lord when that comes will the converted church be here or not when God pours out his wrath. Um, against sin and against unbelief. I, I don't know about you, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I, I, I really don't. Um, now, the fact that I don't want to be here doesn't make it right, but I know that I certainly don't want to be here. Um, now, so people who believe back into chapter 4, again, I know people who say, well, I don't believe in the rapture of the church. I don't believe that God is going to catch his people up. I'm like, what do you do with chapter 4? If you want to argue about the discuss the timing, I'm fine with that. We can discuss the timing. But what do you do with that? He said he's going to come and he's going to and he's going to snatch up the people. Okay? So 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 now some people associate rapture with a particular view. I understand that, but that's wrong. That that's not that's a that that's again going into various areas of speculation. And so People who believe that the rapture of the church occurs before this day believes that true followers of Jesus will not be here. Why? Because they would believe I would be in that camp, but it's okay, that the rapture of the church coincides with the beginning of the day of the Lord in terms of how the time period of of the end of the age it's going to be a long time. It's going to take a long time for all those things to unfold. But even if you don't believe that, or somebody driving in their car wants to drive off the side of the road, because I loved Pastor Jim until I heard him say some of these things, um, it, it, let, let's just agree that the Lord is coming back, and he's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to be eminent. You're going to be surprised. Even if you say, I got all the ducks in a row, I know all the signs. He says it's going to come like a thief in the night. And to me, it appears to be the case by the encouragement that the Apostle Paul offers that Jesus will come for his people before the day when he pours out his wrath. A similar promise is in Revelation 3.10. He says, because you have kept my command to persevere... I also will keep you from the hour of trial which, you shall, which shall come upon the whole world 
to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, that's a very interesting thing. So he, he says, I'm, I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial. I'm going to keep you from that day. Now, this very interesting thing. There's, there's people that some people refer to as tribulation saints. And some people will, will come to faith during this time period. Um, I don't want to be one. Right? I, I, I don't want to be here when, when all of this kind of stuff is, is, is going down. And, and those who think that the church is not going to be here prior to the, prior to the second coming of Christ, um, they, the, the belief is that the second half of this great tribulation, or if you just want to call that last three and a half years, is going to be so incredibly awful that it is not going to be something anybody in their right mind would want to be here for. Now, now some people um, who believe that the church will be here see this deliverance as a deliverance from hell. And I don't take that view, but if you're like, I wish you were more strident in this stuff, Pastor Jim, I... I can be brothers and sisters with people who do take that view. I can be, who love Jesus, who believe in the gospel of grace, who believe in the second coming. Um, I mean, people who believe that, that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and, and his perfect life, people who believe that, is the basis for our salvation and that Jesus took the wrath for us and and we need to get salvation by grace through faith by turning to God and putting our trust in Jesus instead of rejecting Christ's offer. Those are the people we're going to be in heaven with. Those are the people we're going to be in heaven with. You know, and we're not going to be sitting around in heaven arguing about the, the how the timing went. Like, where's the, where's the place to argue, Jesus? We want to we go talk about end time stuff. But, but, but here's the other side of that, that it's important, I think. Each one of those people that I'm talking about don't downplay the judgment of God. They believe it's coming. They just, don't, they just are discussing the timing of it. When, when, when we downplay the wrath of God... Do you know what we do? We take the teeth out of the gospel. We, we take the teeth out of it. And, and I really believe with all of my heart, because there's so little preaching through the word of God these days, that we're avoiding these topics. And you say, well, are they in the Bible a lot? They're all over the place in the Bible. They're all, all over the place. I mean, 2 Thessalonians, we're going to have to really put seatbelts in the, in the seats Right? It's gonna. It's really heavy stuff. But I think when you don't, when 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 churches and pastors and and people don't talk about the judgment of God and the wrath of God, and we take the teeth out of the gospel, that explains to me why so many so-called Christians take holiness so lightly, because they're living like they're going to live forever. I mean, if you say to them, do you want to go to heaven? They go, yeah. 
and, they, and you go, well, like, when do you want to go? And they're like, well, like when I'm like 300 years old. <laughs> they, don't, they, don't, they don't seem to want to go. And so we want to we wanna be people who take holiness seriously. And, and when we take the wrath of God and the judgment of God out of the, we take the teeth out of the gospel, it dulls us to the glory of the gospel. It, it, it dulls us to the fact that there's great joy that followers of Jesus are, are saved from wrath to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we, we have our friends and our family members and our neighbors, and we think, well, they're relatively decent people. It's not that big a deal. But remember what we discovered earlier, that indifferent and rejection, you end up in the same place. Maybe not with the same degree of of punishment or consequences in hell, but you, but you will end up there. So verse 10, he, he continues. So he, had, he, had, he told us about Jesus. Um, and then I want to read verse 10 twice. He says, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. That statement right there, who died for us, is so loaded. That is, a, that is a loaded statement, and it's one that we have to learn how to explain to people. We really have to get it. And so the idea is who died for us. So you could look at that a, a different way. You could say the idea of for us, if um, let's say I, I came over to your house. Don't hold your breath on this one. Um, I came over to your house and I cut your lawn for you. And so I cut your lawn for you is I cut your lawn in your place. Instead of you cutting your lawn, I cut your lawn for you. I did it in your place. So I was, if you will, I was the substitute. Or, or if, a t- if you're a teacher and you're sick and you call in sick, there's somebody who substitutes for you. They teach your class for you. They do it in your place. So Jesus was a sacrifice on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin for us because of our sin. He was a ransom for us. He takes away our sin. He paid it all. So who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, now that could be whether you're alive or, or dead physically, or, or, but, but we're always going to be spiritually alive. He says we should live together with him. The reason I went slowly through that is until we grasp why Jesus had to die, or really better way to put it, until it grasps us, we will fail to really appreciate it. So it says, who died for us. You could, remember we said for can be because. You could say he died because of us. Because of of what we we did, the only way we could be saved was that. So it is by seeing, you know, how, how doomed we all are before a holy God that the glory of the cross begins to shine that we're able to look at that cross and say, that should have been me. But it also adds great hope for us that are here 
on earth and those who have gone before us in Christ, he says that we should live together with him. That is our fate. Jesus said this in John 10, 27 to 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's why we talk about being a follower of Jesus. We hear his voice and we follow him and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Why? Because I'm going to come and snatch them. Nobody's going to snatch them out of my hand. I'm going to come and snatch them. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So are you confident, Christian, that, they're not, that no one is going to be able to snatch you out of Jesus' hand? No one is going to be able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. So the cross and the resurrection give us assurance of future life, that death has no sting, that the grave cannot hold us, and this is the essence of the gospel. Jesus died for us. Jesus died for you. So you're going to go out and you're going to talk to people and you say, well, you know, what can you tell me about Jesus? And around here, a lot of people are going to say, he died on the cross for our sins. So, boy, when they do that, listen to the trumpets of the angels going, ah, right? They've just given it to you. They've just given it to you. Say, can you explain to me what you mean by that? And they go, well, he died on the cross for our sins. And then you say, no, no, no. He he died on the cross for your sins. He died for you. He died instead of you. He died because of your sins. But you have to respond to that with faith and trust. If you got to heaven by by being a good person, why would God ever make his son go through that? And so so simply explain that. And and you never know for who the light is going to turn on. And so so those who will put their trust in Jesus can live, he says here, forever with him. That is God's plan purchased by the blood of Christ. And as we grow in our faith, we become more sure of that. We should become more sure of that. And we should become less afraid to discuss it with people, not because we're becoming arrogant jerks, but because it's, become, it's who we are. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if your heart is full of Christ, full of forgiveness, full of the cross and the resurrection, the anticipation of the return of Christ, that will be what you will speak about. That will be what you will tell people about. That is what you will invite people to. And he concludes at verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you, are, just as you also are doing. Now, let's just think about what he said there. He said, therefore, because of all this. Remember, what's it there for? When it's there for, you ask it, what's it there for? Because of all of this, because we are going to be with the Lord, he's talking to the church, comfort one another. Now, isn't it very interesting? He doesn't say take comfort. He says that we are to comfort one another. We get comfort from the Lord, but we are to share it with others. We are to give comfort to others and edify or build up, some verses say, one another. 
that's all of us. It's not, it's not just something that just, oh, well, that's the pastor's job. We're all supposed to do that. He says, one another, we're all supposed to do that just as you, are, you also are doing. He's like, you're doing it, but it seems like your end times obsessions are beginning to divide the church, are beginning to, are beginning to forget the, the main thing. So in, he says, in light of these wonderful truths, comfort and build up one another. Now, how do you do that if you're not part of a church? He tells the people in the church, part of your duty as part of the church is you are to comfort and build up one another in the church. How do you do that if you're not part of a church? Well, I worship God on Lake Kapakong. What are you encouraging the, the, the fish? It's your end time. We're going to take you home and fry you up in the pan, right? Be encouraged. This is the same thing he said at the end of chapter 4. The end time future events are meant to comfort and encourage and build up the people of God. And so the Lord calls his people to confidence, not conflict. Confidence, hope, seriousness, not endless end time speculation, which often confuses and tears people down. Now, why would he say this stuff to them? I think what's happening to them is possibly that they're beginning to miss the point. And sometimes in end times obsession, and again, I think it's really important that you have a view or, or that you think about these things. It's really important. But a lot of times, if you get too obsessed with it, you'll miss the point. You say, what's the point? The point is really so obvious, it's right on our face, but we, because when we get so distracted by other things, we don't see it. The point is this, our only hope of heaven is our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the hope. He calls it elsewhere the blessed hope. That, that's the hope. That's the only way we're going to get to heaven. If you believe Christ's return is imminent, then now is the time to get moving. Now is the time to start serving God, to take some risks, to, de- to depend on him. And when God is blessing you, to be a blessing to others, and to live a life that's pleasing to God, like many of you are doing. I know you think you're not, but many of you are. Keep it up. Don't give up. Stay the course. You're never going to regret that you live this way. But if you're not, if you're you're in a bad place, and you know in your bad place, tonight, right now, right now, admit that, Lord, if you came back tonight, I would not be ready. And renew your trust in Jesus tonight. Renew your commitment to receiving his love and then to walking in the newness of life. And if you've never trust Jesus, you can escape the wrath tonight by simply putting your trust in Jesus, by letting him take the wrath for you. Because the reality is this, he is coming. He is coming. And he's coming soon. When we did Ecclesiastes, what did we learn? That life was but a vapor. So even if he comes In another thousand years, you and I are not going to be here to see it. (laughs) 
He, he, he is coming very soon for us. No matter how old you are, you could be like, oh, you know, I'm eight. What are you talking about, Pastor Jim? Right? And, but, but he's coming soon. Before we know it, we need to put our trust in him and look for his glorious appearing. Well, let's stand and pray.